Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Ohio State football podcast, Doug Maurice, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com. We're doing the quick hits, baby. We got a lot of questions. I want to get through them. We didn't get to a lot of questions on the big Wednesday pod when we were compared uh, Ohio State's 2020 offense to LSU's 2019 offense. But this is what we're doing Thursday and Friday. Boom, 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 boom. Our tech subscribers sent great stuff. Too much. Man, questions are good. Um, I feel like all agitated to try to get through as many as we can. I have eight lined up for today. And then on the back end of the pod, we're going to talk a little bit about what our tech subscribers said. We've talked about this on a pod already. We've talked about it on the tech subscription. Is Alabama or Clemson really the bigger threat for Ohio State in 2020? I made a case for angry Bama a couple podcasts ago. We sent out the call on text. I tallied up the votes there. We have some comments there. So we'll end this podcast with another discussion between the three of us on whether Trevor Lawrence and Clemson are the biggest hurdle for Ohio State in 2020 or whether it's angry Bama with a bunch of defensive talent back. But first, we're going to go through these eight questions from our tech subscribers. If you want to ask us questions and, you know, be part of it all, send a text 614-350-3315. It's free for 14 days, and then it's four bucks a month after that. Number one, and I've got the clock, five-minute discussions on this stuff, five-minute discussions. There's my stopwatch. There it goes. From the 614, can the Big Ten ever close the gap with the SEC, or does the SEC have such a built-in demographic advantage that it's impossible? We're going to get into some Ohio State Big Ten SEC stuff in a couple of these questions, Nathan, your instinct, just can the Big Ten ever be at that level? At the top, across the board, depth, the number of elite teams, will the Big Ten ever catch the SEC? No. That was Buckeye talk. Like, is it <laughs> – it's that simple? And I'm not arguing – Isn't it? Isn't I'm not it arguing that it's like, not that simple. But I mean, we, we talk about Ohio State in terms of it – sort of um, endeavoring to be the 
outlier in the Big Ten, the one kind of SEC program in the Big Ten, almost a South program in the Big Ten. But it's the one program we talk about like that. So, And, and we don't really necessarily commit to them already being there, right? I mean, they're on the precipice if they're not there already. But that's it. That's the one. So then how many more programs would have to then fall in line and reach the same kind of level that Ohio State is kind of consistently at in order to equal what the SEC does on a year-in and year-out basis? Do I think sometimes that people um, <clears throat> give the SEC too much credit, perhaps, but it's also one of those things where stereotypes um, are that way for a reason. They're, you know, They do consistently – um, produce NFL talent. You consistently produce teams that go out and, and beat all the other teams. I mean, it's like, it's, there's a reason why the SEC is what it is. And I don't see the, the big 10 being able to, you're going to have a teams like Ohio state that can jump up and do it either maybe for the long term in Ohio state's example or in short bursts, but to have the kind of depth, to have the kind of consistency the SEC has in terms of just having all that football talent in its backyard. I don't see the big 10 ever being able to replicate that. Steven, is your answer is your answer anything other than no, or like is there any hope for, in your mind? No, it's no, and it's also because from a recruiting standpoint, Big Ten schools aren't going over twenty five players in a class. They can't. That's the the cutoff. Well, we see all the time SEC schools go over that twenty five man you know, threshold that the Big Ten can't go over. Alabama made a living off of it in the 2010s, and it's why Alabama had so many number one recruiting classes over the past decade. There's not a Big Ten team that can do that, and so that's part of it. They can overload on classes and kind of push guys out and do things that Big Ten teams can't do, so there's always going to be a talent gap from that standpoint when you're talking about a middle-of-the-road SEC team and then maybe a middle-of-the-road Big Ten team. Is that still true, though? I don't, they don't oversign as much as they used to. It's not as bad as it used to, but it's still it's still a thing. It is. Uh, I'm looking at last year's commits: Georgia 25, Bama 25, Clemson 23, LSU 24, mm-hmm. Ohio State 25, Texas A&M 26, Auburn 26, Florida 24, Tennessee 23. I mean, that's just one year. Penn mm-hmm. State had 27. I, it used to be a thing. Oversigning was was quite a gigantic thing. I thought. The SEC had reined it in. I mean, there were SEC teams that had like 30 commits sometimes. I think it's not quite as bad as it used to be. I I don't have the ins and outs of this off the top of my head, but not quite as bad as it used to be. Like, we can't just say over-signing. Over-signing might still be in the mix. It's not near the top of the list for the reason for SEC dominance, though, right? It's not the top of the list, but it's it's on it. If there's a top 10 reasons why, it's probably six or seven on the list where, you know, Penn State being an outlier with 27, while if Alabama has 27 like they did in 2019, you know, that's not necessarily an outlier. Um, so the thing to think about, I think, with the SEC is that the SEC actually is, is actually in some ways kind of down right now. They have some programs in flux. Um, I made a list of SEC programs. How many would you say right now, like, are good? How many are – my categories were good, okay, and interesting, bad, and then just kind of like meh. Um, I had six SEC programs that I would call good right now with where they are, with where their coach is, with their current trajectory. That's obviously Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Florida, Kentucky, because Kentucky is maxing out right now what Kentucky can be, 
with the way Mark Stoops and Vince Mayer are recruiting. They're competitive. It's not that Kentucky is like a good program. They are the best that they can be, though. And then Auburn. I, I think Auburn's – they're like a top 20 team, 25 team most of the time, and they give Alabama a run for the money, which matters. Um, I said four okay, interesting teams. Tennessee, Jeremy Pruitt, like they're making a lot of noise on the recruiting trail. They're not there yet, though. Old Miss and Mississippi State with the new hires with Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach. And then Texas A&M spent a bunch of money on Jimbo Fisher. Haven't really seen it yet, but I think more hope there than when they had Kevin Sumlin. Um, South Carolina's eh, blech, with Will Muschamp. I don't know. And then Vanderbilt's bad. Missouri is bad. And Arkansas is bad. And the bonus question is, Nathan and Steven, can either of you name either Arkansas's head coach or Missouri's head coach? If I had any money to give you, I'd offer you money if you could name the head coach of either school. I should be. I should know this because I I covered games for a team that played Missouri a couple of years ago um, when their coach is on like the precipice of getting fired, and uh, then that team kind of caught fire. And uh, but the long answer is no. I cannot name those those two gentlemen. I, I know. I, know, I don't know Missouri's. I know Arkansas and Sam Pittman. Nice. Why do you know that Arkansas? Is oh, Sam because I don't know. I I don't know why I know that information. Honestly. <laughs> Yeah, I, I didn't know that. I don't even know who that is. <laughs> I don't even remember why I know that information. I know for a fact, though, I don't know who Missouri's head coach is. Missouri's head coach is like Eli Drinkwitz, Elia Drinkwitz. I don't know. I think that might be made up. They might not have a coach, and they just like That's not real. They invented a persona. It might be. It might be a bot. Could it be a Russian bot? Is Missouri's coach a Russian bot? Eh. We make uh, Elia Drinkwitz his new coach of Missouri team. I don't know. That doesn't seem like a real person. So. The SEC is actually not even the peak SEC right now, and it's still ahead of Ohio. It's still ahead of the Big Ten. And the issue is, you guys said, it's not about Alabama versus Ohio State. It's show me when Penn State and Wisconsin and Michigan can be Georgia and Florida and LSU. Show me when, like, a, a secondary Big Ten team can contend for a national title, right? Who Could Penn State or Michigan or Wisconsin – do what LSU did. And I know they did it with an Ohio state quarterback, but like, that's the issue. I think it's the depth of the top. And I don't know how that's going to change. I think coaching could change it. I think the big 10 coaching, we've talked about this, the big 10 network money has helped the, the big 10 get better coaches. You know, Paul Christ is a good coach. James Franklin's a good coach. Jeff Brom's a good coach. PJ flex, a good coach. And actually I think the SEC's had some trouble with that a little bit, you know, Unless you kind of stumbled into Coach O, and then, you know, he hired the coordinator. Joe Brady saved him a little bit. Dan Mullins is supposed to go save Florida because they were screwed up for a while. Florida should be better than they are. You know, Gus Malzahn, good, like not great. But, like, you look at Auburn, you think about what Auburn is. What's Auburn, the fifth best SEC program? I don't know. Fourth? I don't know. They're four. Go ahead. No, I was just saying, but I think the point there is that are they fifth? Are they third? Are they sixth? That kind of it, it changes around. You have so many potential candidates for like who are the six best schools. Not because you can't really decide if any of them are good, but because in any given year, one of them might be the second great program coming out of any of those conf- that conference, right? Like people who are listening to what you said before will probably want to jump in and say like, well, hey, hold on a second. Like Michigan State made a playoff, or hey, hold on a second. Penn State had a, a year a couple of years ago where they had like a, a playoff caliber season, just didn't get in. But you're talking about these one outlier seasons that teams are having like maybe every decade or more. Whereas in, you always just assume there will probably be two SEC teams either right there on the verge of getting in the playoffs or actually in the playoffs. 
And the one outlier is because the team who should be getting in from the Big Ten had a mishap. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you can argue. I mean, Alabama's better than Ohio State, but Ohio State's in range. Like, Ohio State's, yeah. if we're going one versus one, two versus two, three versus three, four versus four, right? Ohio State is closer to the SEC's. Ohio State's the Big Ten's number one. The gap between the SEC's number one and the Big Ten's number one is probably the smallest gap that exists. I think the gap between the SEC's number two and the Big Ten's number two is bigger than one versus one. I think three is bigger than one versus one. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the depth yeah. at the top. And my point about Auburn is they're four and six against Bama in the last 10. Like Bama's the best program in the country, and they've lost to Auburn 40% of the time in the last decade. Show me what Michigan's not doing that to Ohio State. Penn State's not doing that to Ohio State. Wisconsin's not doing that to Ohio State. So, like, that's the depth at the top. Alabama's great. Everybody acknowledges how great Alabama is. And they're losing their rivalry game 40% of the time. And, and it's, 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 it's tricky sometimes to make too much out of one game. But, like, I, I've seen I, – I saw this again firsthand a couple years ago um, in the Music City Bowl. You know, the same Purdue team that had Rondell Moore that, uh, that, that did what it did against Ohio State – was on the same field as an Auburn team that I think was a seven win Auburn team. I want to say at the time that they were seven and five. So a very down Auburn team. And there was, I mean, you were, you were making fun the other day about Oklahoma and Georgia and how Oklahoma looked like a high school team. Um, I know Purdue had some injuries up front, whatever. They did not belong on the same field as Auburn. There is just, it cannot be argued. It was the most embarrassing college football result I've seen probably with my own eyes in front of me like that. Um, it was, it was just an abomination to the sport. I thought maybe like the president would come in and just say like, we're done. Like we can't allow this to happen. We're just canceling the whole sport if games like this are going to happen. And that is still, that to me just still exemplified the disparity. Once you get past the very, very upper echelon where the Ohio States or once in a while, one of those other teams can pop in and compete. It really gets bad. It really, the separation really, really, really grows. And, and like I disagree with the idea that you can't put too much on one game. It's the biggest, it's the it's the, the two biggest rivalry games in college football. And I was not. I was, Michigan, I was just talking about. I was saying. I was sorry. I was just saying that my. I don't want, not to make too much of my example, but here is an example. Oh. I, I'm sorry. I wasn't commenting on what you said. Because I think the Auburn Alabama rivalry. I think that's an important point. That like as yes. good as Alabama is in its biggest rivalry, it's competitive. As good as Ohio State is in its biggest rivalry, it's not competitive at all. And, and Michigan should be the second best team in the Big Ten. I'm not even sure Auburn, I don't think Auburn should be the second best team in the, AC, in the SEC. It probably should be Georgia or Florida. But yet Auburn is able to compete with the best team in the SEC, and nobody in the Big Ten is able to compete with the best team in the Big Ten. So, and like, what's going to change it? I mean, the question really is, is it ever going to, is it going to change? We know it's there, but... Steven, you just said, like, the recruiting. Like, I, I don't know what would change. Could Michigan and Penn State up its recruiting? I guess maybe, but that's the only thing that would change it at this point, right, Steven? I mean, yeah, Penn State could, as what we talked about on Wednesday podcast for a little bit. But Penn State could do that. I don't know if Michigan can up its recruiting because, one, it's also dealing with Michigan State, if, especially if they get back to doing the things that they were doing to, to be well under their new head coach. But also they're, you know, having to deal with – they have to go into Ohio and get – get guys which they're not going to get the top of the line guys of Ohio because those guys are going to go to Ohio State and then Cincinnati is also starting to get some of those guys with Luke Fickle as well so I think Penn State more than Michigan is able to say if we upped our recruiting then yeah maybe we could put ourselves in that position 
And the caveat, and we say this all the time, like a quarterback can change it. If Justin Fields played for Penn State, we'd be having a different discussion right now. Yeah. And they had him, and he decommitted. Um, let's go to our second. That was long. Let's go to the second question, which is related from the 303. The 247 composite rankings currently list eight Big Ten teams in the top 18 in recruiting for 2021. I double-checked. It's actually not eight right now. It's seven. Um, the SEC has four and the ACC three. While I expect the SEC to come on strong, could we be seeing a bit of a northern resurgence at the national level in terms of recruiting? By the way, the Big Ten has never had more than five teams in the top 25 ever in the history of the 247 recruiting rankings in the 21 years of doing that. That's from our friend Ryan in Denver. Stephen, like, is this potentially sustainable? And again, I double-checked this. Um, it's seven Big Ten teams in the top 18 right now. And that is Ohio State is one. Michigan is five. Minnesota is nine. Iowa, 10. Maryland, 11. Penn State, 16. Rutgers, 18. Is it possible that we are seeing a northern recruiting resurgence for the class of 2021? It's impressive, but... No, because of what SEC teams haven't rubbed up their engines yet. You know, obviously, what Tennessee did over the last month and a half is pretty impressive, and after 24 commits by, at this point. But Georgia has not done anything, and Alabama has done but hasn't done anything either. And then you could add Oklahoma, even though they're not an SEC school, but they they usually recruit pretty solidly as well. Because of the level, the teams that we're talking about who haven't done anything yet, you can't just say, "Oh, it's gonna it's a northern resurgence." It just means that some guys have gotten commitments earlier than other guys. But if you think that Alabama and Georgia especially are going to get through this whole thing and there's not going to be any five stars left for either of those two schools, you're crazy. Nathan. Do I think it's a resurgence? I, I mean, the class isn't even done. I'm, 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 I'm hesitant to, to put too much of an emphasis on this brief period. I think it's, it's, it's the first step, though, right? I mean, as we were just saying, until – the more Big Ten schools find a way to recruit at a higher level, this gap is still going to continue. So I think it's an encouraging first step, but I think I would I would hesitate to make a big declaration off of it yet. It's something, first of all, they have to finish off this year. And that a lot of times that involves protecting the guys who've already committed to you from decommitting and ending up at these SEC schools who you're supposedly head of in, this, in the rankings. Uh, yeah, it's fake. It's fake rankings right now. Ohio State has uh, 19 commits. Michigan has 16. Minnesota 17. Iowa 15. Maryland 15. Penn State 12. Rutgers 18. So again, your recruiting overall recruiting ranking is a total points, and the more recruits you have, the more points you have. Mm -hmm. So the Big Ten schools have a lot of commitments. Um, Alabama has six. Alabama's not in the top 25 right now. It's not in the top 18. They have six. Auburn has nine. Kentucky has nine. Texas A&M has nine. Georgia has eight. Like they have half as many players as these Big Ten recruiting classes. So it's just where we are right now, and it's what Steven said. The SEC is not revved up yet. When you look at last year's recruiting ratings, Ohio State was fifth. The second-best Big Ten team in the full 2020 class was Michigan at 14. There were six schools ranked ahead of Michigan in the SEC. Georgia 1, Bama 2, LSU 4, Texas A&M 6, Auburn 7, Florida 9. So when you think about, oh, if you said 
who were the seven best recruiting teams between the SEC and the Big Ten last year? It's Ohio State and six SEC teams. So that's not changing in 2021. There's not some fundamental change. Michigan just got a you know a commitment from like the best kid in Connecticut or whatever. So that's good. But it's not like the Big Ten is all of a sudden invading the South and pulling kids away from Georgia and LSU and Florida. They just, as Steven said, haven't, haven't revved up their engines yet. This is kind of a SEC question from the 804. If you had to pick either of these coaches for the next five years to be the Ohio State head coach, these are the only two choices, five years for the Buckeyes. Would you pick Lane Kiffin or Mac Brown? Lane Kiffin, now the head coach at Ole Miss. Mac Brown, now back as a head coach of North Carolina. Nathan, who's your choice? I'm taking Mac Brown. I think Lane Kiffin would be, I, I don't know about the personality fit in Columbus and with Ohio State. And I also think Mac Brown is, he's an interesting figure in college football a little bit. I feel like he, he did some great things and is ultimately was judged on not doing them often enough, um, and which, which can be fair. Um, but I think we've seen that what he can do at a like kind of uh, blue blood national power, the kind of success he could have. I think you have to go with Mac Brown here. Steven, you're going to stand up for Lane Kiffin. I'm not, I'm going with Mac Brown. It's five years and then he can ride off into the sunset and never coach again. And in his first year at North Carolina, we went seven and six, which I mean, it's applaudable given where North Carolina was before he got there going two and nine and three and nine the year before that. And then just look at what he's doing in his first recruiting class. I mean, they're number four, and we just called them fake and everything, and that's fine and all that. But given where North Carolina has been, you've got 15 commitments, and you're number four in the country. Now, you're not going to stay at number four in the country, but he's doing pretty solid, and he's in some of these rooms already. He had Evan Pryor's ear for a moment. He had Will Shipley's ear for the moment. Now, obviously, they ended up Ohio State and Clemson respectfully, but you know, he's already in these kids' ears, already has their attention, and he seems to be in, in the way that you can build something at that age, he's building something interesting in North Carolina. He was a two-point conversion away from beating Clemson and ruining their season. So, yeah, I'm not, it's, it's Mac Brown. I can't imagine anyone picking Lane Kiffin. I, like, if you are listening to this and you were thinking to yourself, ah, I think I'd pick Lane Kiffin. Please sign up for the text and send us a text and say why. I This is not to say that Lane Kiffin isn't a good coach or that he won't be good at Old Miss. I just think Ohio State fans would hate him. Like, I think you would despise having him as your head coach. And so, like, that's part of it, right? Like, it's, you want to win. But, like, you don't want a guy who, like, every time you see him stand up and represent your team, you're kind of like, eh. Mac Brown is Trestle. He's just, it would just be like having Jim Trestle come back. And if you ask people right now, like if Ryan Day quit tomorrow and people, and you said to Ohio State fans, do you want Jim Trestle back for five years? I think there's a group of people who would say, I'll take Jim Trestle for five years. That's who Mac Brown is. Urban Meyer loves Mac Brown. Mac Brown got lazy and sloppy in his recruiting at Texas at the end. And that's what was his downfall, which is why he left and why Texas went into a hole afterward. Mac Brown lifted Texas to great heights with the Vince Young national title, and then he drove them off a cliff 
because he got lazy in recruiting. And you can make an argument that Jim Trestle at the end was not recruiting great and his, his staff wasn't recruiting great. And maybe, and I've written and talked about this, maybe if Jim Trestle hadn't been forced out, you could have seen maybe an end for Jim Trestle at Ohio State that kind of looked like Mac Brown's end at Texas, which was like some serious, not great seasons that then lead your gigantic, dynamic national program into a pit. And it just so happened that Jim Trestle was forced to resign kind of when he was still kind of near the top of his game, and he did not have the chance to slack off as much as Mac Brown did. But leaving invigorated Mac Brown, and the whole point is that when he was at Texas, he was not recruiting in the end the way he's currently recruiting at North Carolina. So if you brought Mac Brown to North Carolina, he'd be folksy, and and people would like him. I mean, to Ohio State. If you brought him to, to Ohio State, he'd be folksy, and I think the fans would like him, and, and he would recruit well enough. Now, would he recruit like Urban Meyer and Ryan Day? Probably not. But I, I just don't think the Lane Kiffin experience and Mac Brown would not be a miss. The whole thing that we talk about with Ohio State is if you swing and miss on a hire, and Lane would be a big swing. If you miss, that's how you get off track, right? And so, like, I just – like I like the question is fun. Please, if you had Lane Kiffin as your answer, please tell us your explanation for it because I can't possibly imagine it. All right, next question. This is mostly for Nathan because Nathan, I know you're dancing around with some of this stuff. It might be all for you because I'm not sure Stephen and I have much to add to this. From the eight five eight, Harold in San Diego, loyal texter. What is the financial impact of a reduced or eliminated football attendance to the athletic department? We know Gene Smith has talked about that. They have plans for that. Um, maybe 20,000, maybe 25,000, maybe 40,000, maybe 50,000. Nathan, you've been looking at some budget stuff. What kind of impact would this have? You don't have to have the full answer right now. Cause again, I know you're thinking about a story on this, but like, what you do know, how big of a deal would it be financially? Well, and, and you know, we said this all the way back in April when we first talked to, to Gene Smith that he was asked at the time, like, what's the difference between what's going to happen now? Because at, at that point, we already knew, even though they were only canceling things for the spring, that the impact for the fall could be significant. What's going to be the impact of that compared to these other um, events that you've gone through, whether that's 9-11 or the Great Recession? And he said that this was going to be way worse. And it's because in all of those other instances – I suppose during 9-11, maybe there were some games that were, you know, they didn't play that weekend or whatever, but you didn't potentially lose a season. You didn't potentially lose an entire season of football attendance. And that's, I think, even for a program the size of Ohio State, and the, with the revenues and the resources of Ohio State, it's potentially um, devastating. Um, now, I think the big question is, what sort of flexibility, and this is what I'm trying to talk to people, get some, some real opinions about. Because if Ohio State, because in any any other given year, there is fewer, more um, secure financial uh, revenue sources than Ohio State football attendance, right? I mean, they're going to get 100,000 people for every home game. They can pretty much pinpoint what revenue they're going to get off their football attendance. Um, it's usually around $60 million for us. For, uh, I think it's what it was last year. I've got those numbers here somewhere. And now if you start talking about taking 80% of that away, that obviously leaves a huge budget deficit because we did also clarified with Gene Smith. I asked him in April to clarify what the actual reserves are. They only have at the end of this fiscal year, about $10 million in reserve. That's not going to cover 
the deficit that you get from not having these this this income from the the tickets the ticket sales but can you just sort of push that ahead a year can you get some kind of I don't know, financial assistance, bridge loans, whatever, and push those sorts of things ahead a year because they know that a year from now or however many years they can spread it over, they can recoup that income. You can bear, you can reduce, you can, I'm sorry, increase ticket prices a little bit maybe and get that income back or through other, or the other means. It's so at Ohio State, it could still be significant. I just think I, I, people I'm talking to right now, there is still more optimism that it wouldn't be maybe devastating for Ohio State, that it's really more that next tier down that could really be crushed by but we don't We're care. seeing the effects of that. Uh, but, but Ohio State, so what you're talking about, so you're saying they make about $60 million in a typical year off football attendance. Correct. So if they have 20,000 people instead of 100,000 people, they have one-fifth the attendance. If they make $12 million instead of $60 million, so $48 million shortfall. If they have 50,000 people instead of 100,000, that's a $30 million shortfall. You, what, what do you think would be the tangible effects? When you say devastating, what does that mean in your head? If they have a 30 to $40 million shortfall in revenue just from football tickets, what's the tangible effect on the Ohio State Athletic Department? I think you're going to see there's going to have to be a lot of trimming in other areas. Um, now Gene Smith is not talking about specifically where those would be. He said that they have already looked at some, um, I guess what's, what's the term he used? I mean, you know, some, 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 some budgetary relief in other areas, whether that's going to probably be coaching, uh, salary reductions or furloughs or whatever you want to call them to, um, I think you're probably going to see the, there are things that they can't do without, and there's things that they do because they are Ohio state, right? The thing, money that you probably spend because you're Ohio State. And I think you'll probably see some cutbacks in some of those things. I would be really surprised all right, if things I want got all the way. I want specific, but like, what are you talking about? And I'm not, I'm not, but like, tell our people what you mean and things or things that you do because you're Ohio State. Like, okay, so we think they can have salary reductions. Do you think like reduce travel for sports? Do you think um, would they halt any construction projects? And I know you don't have all the answers in front of you, but we've got to give our listeners something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, th- th- that's what, what I'm talk? talking about. I mean, there's there are things that you – I mean, you have to have coaches. You have to have facilities for teams to work out in. Now, would it mean – the, the construction's already going on on some of these other buildings uh, as we, that, that they have that are in the process of. So I don't think they're going to halt that. Um, but I, I'm just I, – I think it would be things like travel. I think it would be things like – um, anything, anything that would be considered superfluous in even those things that they're building, right? So are you going to, are you going to do the bells and whistles? Or are you just going to do the basic thing now and try to come back and do the bells and whistles later? Th- those are the kind of things that I think that they would look at. Do you think sports cuts are any possibility for Ohio State? I'm skeptical of that. I think Ohio State looks at it as a real source of pride. I think, um, that they, it's, it, it and I think it also would, for a place like Ohio State, when you have a $200 million athletic budget, I, I don't know what kind of, how that looks to people when you start cutting those. I know we've talked about what's important and what, what we would do, but I, 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 I think you're also going to get in a situation where you're, you're taking opportunities away from people who are still paying more to the university to play those sports than what they're getting in scholarships and, and what it costs to have a cross country team or whatever. Now that, and that may be where you also look at 
some other changes. I did talk to someone though, um, uh, um, our David Ridpath, who's a guy who's pretty well known from Ohio University, who's involved in a lot of things. He's been in athletic administration before, and um, you know his his he's kind of floating out there that these schools could get by with. It may just mean that we have to change the long term um, FCS or FBS model or Division One model to allow programs, athletic programs, to have more flexibility in what's a scholarship sport and what's not. Um, you know, you can, you can, you can still have a cross country team, but maybe you make that a non-scholarship sport and that doesn't affect your D1 status. But again, your those things tend to affect programs below Ohio state's level more than Ohio state itself. All right. So are you planning a story on this though? Yes. Okay. So you'll get more specific in the story. Correct. Because that's, what's interesting. The specifics, they blow a lot of money. They built like a boathouse for the rowing team, multi-million dollar boathouse the other day for sport that nobody cares about. And my tolerance for like feeling bad about sports that nobody cares about is very low because it's not like we already don't draw lines. Like everybody has their little thing that they care about, but the whole way you make money is doing things that other people care about. And so, you know, Ohio State doesn't have a cornhole team. Some people like cornhole. There isn't enough interest in cornhole to make it a scholarship sport. So, like, what's the difference between cornhole and fencing? I don't know. Nobody cares about either one of them. So if you start whacking sports that nobody cares about and you talk about, like, denying opportunity, well, right now there are some cornhole players who are already being denied opportunities for some kind of college scholarship. So, like, you know, but so I don't know. Gene cracked the door. When we talked to Gene last week on the conference call, he did not slam the door on sports cuts in a way that he has always done in the past. He loves having the largest athletic program in the country. He is very big on opportunity. They love to talk about their more than 1,000 athletes, and they are very dedicated to that. Um, you could cut it, and he didn't say no. He didn't certainly didn't say, well, we think we might have to cut sports. But almost every other time in the last 15 years that I've ever talked to Gene Smith about, like, why do you have so many stinking sports? He is really strong on that's what we do. So I don't think it's impossible. It's not a first a first thing they'll do. They've got to cut some salaries. They're going to cut football salaries. They have to. They have no choice. The, and the reason that coaches make football, the, the reason Ryan Day makes the money he does is not because football, it has this value to society. It's because it's so popular they make a bunch of money off of it. So if they're making less money, you've got to pay less money. You can't pay Ryan Day $6 million a year when you have one-fifth the attendance. So, like, that clearly has to come with some pay cuts, and it's completely reasonable. But I, I, I wonder where they might be, and they're bloated. I mean, the departments are bloated, and, like, a multimillion-dollar yep. rowing house is silly. It's just silly. A couple of things to point out. Number one, when we talk about that uh, that deficit of, of the ticket sales that they aren't going to be able to make up, by the way, it was $61.5 million in 2016, $69.1 million in 2017, and 59.8 in 2018 i don't have the numbers for 2019 that that report hasn't come out yet but roughly so roughly 50 to 60 million dollars a year that they get from this but that also it's not just a 50 million dollar hole because then you're talking about there's game day expenditures and things that you don't pay out that that go into that too so it, the hole that you're talking about is going to be less than whatever that ticket well, differential is but i will say also what i think is interesting is that a, a an athletic department of this size um to only have $10 million in, in, in um, reserves. reserves is – that's a question that I think needs to be answered a little bit. Although, to be, to play, to be fair to them, 
we're in a, a thing that is sort of a completely uncharted territory. This was something that I don't think anybody reasonably could have predicted coming. It's not like, well, you might have to pay players in a different way before and you can kind of have that in the back of your head or something else. The TV structure might change. You have to have that in the back of your head. That, the idea that you would not make any money off of football um, could not really be, I don't think, in the back of anybody's head. So I, I, I don't necessarily criticize them too much for only, quote-unquote, only having $10 million. And I think that money – there's also a shell game that gets played here, right? That Huge money gets moved around. Move, money gets moved around to from here – it was here and then it was there. And we went through all that earlier this spring with what their budget said and what the NCAA report said and what was real and what was an actual deficit. So um, I think Gene Smith is not being evasive with the way he answers some things. Um, he may be evasive with the way he answers some things, but I don't think he's being evasive in general because I think there is, I think he's probably also waiting for a consensus on some of these questions that Ohio state doesn't have to be the only one that makes this decision that they can, if, if a lot of schools are making the same decision, how they approach something in terms of fiscal responsibilities and cuts, then they get to kind of fall in line with that. Even, and it may also just be a temporary basis. It may be something that doesn't, you don't just because you decide to drop lacrosse or rowing or whatever for, three years doesn't mean you lose it forever. But it probably does because nobody cares about rowing already. So I, I would like to see the well, people. But, then they, but, but they started it in the first place. It's like, I mean, I could, I could definitely see some, some, uh, some donor coming back to save. Bloat. I was reading some you know story I mean? about like a hockey team at an Alabama college. And it's like, oh, the hockey team at Alabama yeah. college. It's like, what are you talking about? The, 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 the idea that people think they have a right to an opportunity to get some kind of financial assistance to do something that nobody cares about blows my mind. It doesn't mean you can't play it. It means that nobody's going to pay for it. Pay for it yourself because it's your personal interest. It doesn't make any money, and nobody cares about it. And if we're going to start handing out money, let's hand out money for students who are good at science or students who are good at music or students who are good at engineering or academic pursuits, I don't feel sorry for your lack of scholarship to play a sport that nobody watches. Now, there are Title IX implications and a balance of opportunity for male athletes and female athletes is an actual real thing. That matters a ton. But you can cut back on everybody fairly. Maintain Title IX, have opportunities for enough female athletes. So you have a bunch of guys playing football. They need a same opportunity. But there's a lot of stuff at Ohio State that men and women are playing that is a drain that no one cares about and I would argue gives, gives nothing to the university, provides nothing. And the reason, and that it's somehow supported by football players banging their brains together so that we could pay for a boathouse for the rowing team, it's bloat. It's, it's kind of like, it's like embarrassing bloat in a lot of ways. And this might be an opportunity to whack some of the bloat. And like, if you're a rowing person, like, if you want to send me an angry text or tweet, like, that's fine but I would like you to argue the point that nobody cares about the thing that you like to happen to do. So it's just the world, baby. You got to provide equal opportunity to men and women. 
but you don't have to provide endless opportunity in sports that have no societal impact or interest. Let's talk football again. Master Teague question from the 614. We've all praised Kenny Guyton for being the best backup quarterback we could ask for. So what are some other KG award winners at different positions? Should Master Teague be praised like Kenny Guyton rather than being held to a starting Ohio State running back standard? That's Evan in Oregon. Like that, that's the kind of question that like changed the way I looked at things because Master Teague is Master Teague and if he was like, okay, he's going to be the change of pace back. He's the number two guy. There's no expectation for him to be a starting back. He's just change of pace. And like Bijan Robinson is here to be a five-star starter as a freshman. Would we think about him differently? I just found it to be a very interesting way of looking at it because the guy is the guy, and it's maybe not his fault if a, if a team ends up maybe relying on him more than he should be relied upon. What do you think of this whole idea, Stephen, as it relates to Master Teague? I think it – Ohio, to the point of you bring up B. John Robinson, if Ohio State hadn't have had its failures in the recruiting running recruiting running backs that it has, that would make perfect sense. That he would have he's the Kenny Guyton of running backs, where you know he's the you know, the spellback basically. But that's not what happened, and so now I think the expectation is he's going to at least compete to be the starter in 2020. But is it? Do we talk about him in an unfair way as a result? Like when I'm saying like I don't know, I don't know how good Master Teague is. The way I talk about that is because I don't know, parentheses, how good he is as a starting running back. But if I was only ever talking about him, I mean, I don't, right? I mean, if we're talking about, I mean, if, if Jalen Harris was expected to be a starting receiver, we'd be spending a lot of time saying, like, I don't know if Jalen Harris is good enough to be a starting yeah, receiver. It, but it, it, he's not it expected does, to be that. You're right. It does. It's, it's probably put some unfair expectations because of some failures that aren't his own. Nathan. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but Guyton at some point had to be the starter. Well, he subbed for Braxton when he was hurt, yes. Right. Yeah. right. Started two games and was like the National College Football Player of the Week because he exactly. threw like 13 touchdown passes. And so I think that's a big difference too, that, that you know – you know, Teague did some things, but he never, even in a, even in a non-conference by game situation, I don't know who those games that Guyton played, but it sounds like if he had, you know, six touchdowns or whatever, it probably wasn't the Michigan game. No, Teague had a game. He, he, he had a game where he could have been that. The Rutgers game where hey, Ryan Rutgers. Day, right. What a, okay, Kenny Guyton didn't do it against Michigan. No, Kenny Guyton did it against Cal and Florida A&M. So Florida A&M and Teague Rutgers. Didn't, are, Teague didn't start the Rutgers game. But he got plenty. He got enough snaps in that game. He was clearly going to because get they were more playing Rutgers, tonight. right? Um, Kenny Guyton was playing Florida A and M. Yeah, what but, I'm he, is that, but, but he's what about terrible the quarterback? All I'm saying is that I think that's maybe the difference here is that you know Teague and I. I, I don't. I have no. I'm not saying this is any kind of a um, a judgment on Master Teague as a football player because I think he's a good football player. But he was never asked to be the man, even for a one or two week period. He was always well, we're giving you this opportunity to give J.K. Dobbins a rest or we're giving you this opportunity because it would just be mean to leave J.K. Dobbins in the game. And even when he had a bigger opportunity against Clemson, um, and again, I'm not judging his whole career by this, but when he had the opportunity against Clemson, he didn't really rise to the occasion, obviously. So I think that's maybe the difference that where, where those kind of separations happen, where a guy like Kenny Guyton, you know, even if it was in against lesser competition, um, to be the starter and to be the guy in the spotlight in a different way and have to step up and perform to me is different than what Master Teague was asked to do. 
Kenny Guytnuts okay. will save the 2012 perfect season by coming in against Purdue and leading a game-tying touchdown drive and, and throwing right. a two-point conversion and winning in overtime. Right. Uh, and Master every Teague time, just never had to do things with the game on the line. What is your point about Rutgers, though, Stephen? Are you saying was Teague good when he had the chance against Rutgers, or he got the chance against Rutgers and didn't show much? He had 10 carries for 45 yards and no touchdowns. So there hasn't been – because, like, even DeMario, part of, like, the infatuation with DeMario McCall is that, like, his freshman year, I think it might have been against Bowling Green, it's like he got in late and was starting to dice people up, and it was like, mm-hmm. oh, 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 oh. Um, So your point, Stephen, is that even when Master Teague has maybe had a chance to be like, hey, okay, here we go, let's see what you can do, he hasn't yeah. set the world on fire. Even if it is against a team where they suck, it's just an opportunity for you to show what the future might look like. And you had 10 carries for 45 yards. It, it is fair. I mean, you are constantly judged in context. Everybody is in life. And most of the time, you are you. And the context determines how, to some degree, whether you're viewed as a success or not a success. Um, so I think it's an interesting point. But I still think I think the thing we're, we're kind of arriving at here is that the Kenny Guyton standard is really high. And what Kenny Guyton did is he was never expected to be the starting quarterback. Although I promise you I can find old emails where once Kenny Guyton started ripping up Florida A&M, some, I, I guarantee maybe some of you listening were like, I don't know, maybe he should start ahead of Braxton. So we know how people are. But Kenny Guyton, every time he was called on, lit it up. And so that is why he's the ultimate backup. And I think the point, I think, Stephen, your point is a good one. It's not like Master Teague has lit it up every time he's had a chance to show, but he probably, it, it is, I think we all would agree, we're probably not at the point where Master Teague should be a guy who is relied on as the number one running back for a national title contender. And that's why Trey Sermon is here, because now he's not going to really be that way. But but we have had an offseason of viewing him as, is he good enough to be a number one back, when actually he probably never should have been in that put in that position to begin with. Quick and I, think for- if, I think if he had had even a 10 carries for 45 yards and no touchdowns against Clemson, that would have changed the complexion of the way people look at him completely, right? You're right. I mean, just to, have, just to have kind of like a standard s- adequate running back game, I think people would have been like, oh, you know what? Maybe this is something. But because it was so rough that night, that alone, I think, had created a lot of skepticism, as we talked about a billion times on this podcast, um, going, but before the injury even happened. I mean, if Kenny Guyton had come in against Purdue when Braxton left and thrown three passes into the stands and Ohio State lost – he would, would not be, yeah. Would have viewed him differently. No. So, so yeah. And, and I think everybody felt that, right? We, everybody watching that game felt the drop off in the moment. J.K. Dobbins is on the field. Now he's off the field, and there was a, a, a clear drop off, and that's hard to shake. So I think you guys are right. From the 206, given the opportunity, would any of you go to space? This is from our guy, J.P. Porkchop. Nathan, would you go into space? And this is happening because there was supposed to be a launch this week, I yeah. think, for a SpaceX thing that got scrubbed, but people are talking about it. <laughs> I think the experience of being in space would be, like, incredible in a way that I probably can't truly imagine. I think the experience of traveling to space would probably kill me, like, in just from just, like, terror and the, the physical demands of it right now as we know it. Um, but, I mean, having said that, yeah, I, I think it would be amazing to go up. Yeah, I think it would. Steven, would you go? 
No, I would not go. There's no reason for Steven to ever go to space. There's nothing there. There, I don't know. There's not enough pros for Steven being in space. When I can name all, when there are plenty of movies out there who show me plenty of cons to Steven going to space. No, Steven will not be going to space. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Steven will be staying on. I want to know, I want to know what movies you consider it to be a warning. Like, are you talking about, um, like a, 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 a Apollo 13 or are you talking about, uh, Mars let's Attacks. Star Wars. Like, yeah, yeah, let's like start Star there. Wars. Let's, no, oh no, I'm not talking about Star Wars. That's not real life. I'm talking about Apollo 13. I'm talking about, I was watching The Martian with my uh, parents a couple weeks ago and everything about that screamed to me, see, this is why we should never go to space again. But see, if you did, like, if you, if you were, like, if that were a real story, that guy would be considered, like, one of the, like, three greatest human beings ever like you went to he mars went. and you survived and you came home like it's unbelievable a plausible like, story it doesn't make the experience hurt less steven means is not taking the risk of having to eat a potato every day for a year oh no it doesn't no. matter the with, upside with, hold up. with no promise that this is ever going to end i when I uh, dabble around and look at jobs, there was a phase when I was like, um, when I was really looking at some of like the the job board for the SpaceX kind of stuff in Florida, um, because I find space ex- exploration fascinating. I think it should be sort of something that we value um, as part of the human existence. I think we should try to be going places because I think we're here on this rock to do more than just sit on the rock. Um, so like. I think we should ramp up the space program. You know, I mean, it's not as important as, as feeding hungry people and, and protecting the environment, but I also think we shouldn't ignore it. So I would not want to go into space, but I would love the opportunity to be around people who are going into space and play some small role in an operation that sends people to space and let someone else take the risk and experience the what, what that is like. But I would find that very fulfilling to have that be your work, your life's work. What you get up and do every day is try to help human beings explore the galaxy. Man, I find that to be very worthwhile in a sort of like what it means, what the human existence at its best is all about. So um, I'm intrigued by all this stuff. I do follow, not super closely, but um, but I would not want to go because I think I would get more enjoyment out of participating in some small way and watching someone more qualified and braver and tougher and smarter with more endurance and more guts and and grit than me do it. But man, space, I'm all in on space, baby. All in on space. All right. Uh, I love this question. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. It's such a smart question from the 405. Everyone loves Ryan Day for good reason. How many losses next year in 2020 would it take for him to fall out of favor? So, like, it's not going to happen. So we're not we're not putting a hex on him or anything. Like, Ohio State's going to be good. But he's so – I mean, it's like, oh, my gosh, they hired this new guy. He's inexperienced. He's replacing a legend. He has an undefeated regular season, completely fulfills everything that Ohio State fans would want out of Ryan Day. What would it take to flip the script? How bad would it have to get? Or would it be impossible? Would would everybody, like, give him a pass to some degree because they still would love him? Steven, 
what would it take for Ryan Day to no longer be beloved? Ryan Day. Can I, just, just for clarification, are we talking about not what would give people pause, but what would make people say, oh, that's not the guy? Fall out of favor, however okay. you want to take it. Okay. So, I mean, I think depending how big the pause is, I think that could be seen as falling out of favor. Because I think almost everybody in the fan base is like all in on this guy right now, short term and long term. So, you know, I even think any kind of real pause is falling out of favor with where he is right now. So, Stephen, go ahead. They go nine and three, and the losses are Michigan at home, probably Oregon, and not Penn State, but they get upset by another West team, like, I don't know, maybe Illinois. Like, they lose – so, basically, they lose early to Oregon, and people can kind of look past that because, okay, they didn't have a normal spring and all that stuff, and things were rusty. But then they go through the season – and then they lose at Illinois, which as another hiccup, hiccup similar to 2017 and 2018. And then you follow that up by losing to Michigan on senior day at home. That's a high bar. Nathan, would, would you think that would do it or would it take more or less? I think a three-loss season under the current um, expectations for this program would be tough. Um, when you have a Heisman Trophy finalist quarterback, um, when you have the other talent that they're bringing into this program, when you have a consensus All-American on your offensive line and another guy or two who are in contention for, you know, being among the, the best, if not in the big 10, then maybe in the country. Um, I think three losses would probably do it. I think, I think Steven's right though. I think it would probably, it would, it would, it would have to be a loss that keeps you out of the big 10 championship game. I think it would probably have to be a loss that keep and, and a second loss in the regular season that would then be some kind of an upset. And I don't even know if it would have to be at Oregon. I think it would maybe be more like you lose at home to Iowa or something. And then I think it would be then losing whatever afterthought bowl game you go to at that point that um, where, where you just don't have a team ready to play when you probably have a pretty significant talent uh, advantage. So I think it would probably take three because I think if it's only two, I could see a scenario where Ohio State is, is still by all – estimations are a really good team next year, but you have one possession that goes wrong at Oregon. You have one possession that goes wrong at Penn state. And all of a sudden you're a two loss team. That's out of the playoff. But that to me, isn't devastating. I think it's that third loss that will really make people look at you differently. You guys surprise me sometimes. Cause I feel like a lot of the time, like you're, I mean, this is a place with hugely high expectations. And then I feel like there, there are times when you guys kind of pull back on that and, and, and have an approach of like, well, you know, I mean, what are you going to do? You can't win every game. I think like nine and three, where at least two of the losses are good teams. I, I think it would take like much more than that. You really think if they went nine and three, now the Michigan loss is a big deal because it's the rivalry, but Michigan's pretty good. So you think if they lost and Nathan, you gave a caveat that say it's not Oregon, but let's say it's the Michigan loss, then it's At either. All. Okay. But it's good teams. So there's, say there's only one really goofy loss. It's Michigan, either Oregon or Penn State, which are both on the road, and they're both good teams, and then one loss that's the equivalent of Purdue or, or Iowa, like one you don't see coming. You think that would make people think, I'm not sure this is the guy for Ohio State? You think that's where people would go at 9-3? and three? I think there are some people that think that absolutely, especially when you consider that in the year before when you had this this great, confluence of talent on both sides of the ball 
Um, yes, they were a playoff team, but they fell short of what people thought they ultimately should have done last year too. I think that would, that's also what you have to factor in here. Ed. And, and I, I'm not as much in that camp as, as a bigger part of the fan base is or a portion of the fan base is, but I think then those two things go together. You say, oh, well, this team didn't get there, couldn't even get to the championship game when they had all that talent, Chase Young, uh, Jeff Okuda, Justin Fields, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, in 2019. And then in 2020, they lose three games, especially what you're talking about, where you're losing three games in a regular season. I think people would definitely start to think, whoa, wait a second. Um, what, where is this going? So, and I think not- part of it has to do with the fact that I'm saying they're, they're back-to-back losses to close out the regular season. I, that's, and that has to play a part in this because now fans are spending 14 straight days. They're already like, hey, man, why are we losing Illinois? And then you fo- Steve, followed that up with Michigan? Can we please pronounce Illinois, Illinois? <laughs> you don't pronounce the S. Illinois. Okay, Illinois. Illinois. Or we get follow- to call you Step In Means. Oh, I... I disagree so much with this. And I'm not ta- we're not talking about like the 10% of the fan base that like on Twitter wants to like fire the coach when they're losing at halftime. Like you think a, an actual like loyal like fans who like Ohio State are smart, care about the program but not like the lunatic fringe. Wait a second. Like, this is why I asked for clarification because I said, well, you mean what if it just gives people pause and you said, well yeah, that could be that could be that could count here. But I'm talking about like lots of people pause. I'm not talking about like the the squeaky wheels. You mean you, like you think like the average Ohio State fan? Because you can make 10% of people mad about anything. But you think like the average Ohio State fan, or at least one out of every two average Ohio State fans, or one out of every three, the normal Ohio State fans, the people who listen to this podcast, who are smart and educated, if they went nine and three, would be like. I, I'm not sure about Ryan Day anymore. They wouldn't just be disappointed about the season and be sad. They actually would have pause about whether Ryan Day is the right guy for the job. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I am, in the, in the, especially in the scenario where you're talking about, where it's three regular season losses, you're losing to Michigan at home, so you lose the lose, winning streak there. Um, you're, you're well out of the playoff situation. You're going to a, 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 a bowl much farther down the list than, than anybody would have considered in the preseason. Yeah, I think people so, would start what, to wonder. So you guys think one off year, and it's not even like a losing year. It's one year where you're not in the playoff mix causes the average fan to think this guy might not be the guy for the job. That's where the standard is for Ohio State. One year of nine and three. Makes I think, think this I'm year, I think sure. this, I think this year going nine and three. With a completely new defense filled with guys who have never played important roles and a it's bunch not of a completely new defense. Yeah, it's not a Okay. I am so far on the other side of this. Uh, I, I, I want, it's not a completely new defense. You have the entire starting linebacker group. You have Sean Wade. You have uh, guys on the defensive line that have played a, a decent amount of time before. I mean, let's, let's, it's not a completely remade no. defense. It's not, it's not 10 guys who barely touched the field last year. And I'm, I, I've, I've certainly written about this team in terms of the questions that they have on defense. I think those are legitimate questions, but they're questions about whether or not this team is a national championship caliber team. I don't think those are questions that I think that coupled with this offense is going to have this team losing three regular season games next year. I oh, think nice. if they lose three regular season games next year. Now, again, there are other caveats here too, right? Justin Fields gets hurt, all bets are off. I, I think 
but if you're talking about a, a but, season with a healthy Justin Fields, a season with 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 assumed health for the rest of if you're assuming health all the way around and assuming no other weird uh, Chase Young suspension circumstances at the wrong time if you're talking about a fully full roster three loss regular season I think people would have serious questions about that with the talent of this team and then going into uh, even more uncertainty a year from now when you don't have Justin Fields as your quarterback I agree yeah I totally disagree and I want to hear from people on this I want to hear from tech subscribers on this because I think you're wrong. Because we're not asking about what you would feel. We're asking about what we think the average Ohio State fan. Fall out of favor or have pause means how would the, the fan base react to it? And I think, it's, I think you're wrong. I think you're wrong to say that if Ryan Day went 9-3, and three, a, a some decent chunk of average fans would be like, I'm not so sure about this guy. I think that's crazy. I think like – because I think what you would cause you to be like, I'm not so sure about this guy, is like multiple times where you get on the field and it feels like, man, we got outcoached. We got outplayed by average teams. I'm thinking more like six and six. Like to lose to good teams, sometimes you lose to good teams. And sometimes you have like a wacky off week. But like if you're out there like playing Iowa, playing Indiana, playing Michigan State, and just being like, man, like they were better than us today and that happened like three four not even three that happened like four five six times where like mediocre teams were better than us not like well hey michigan's good and we you know we're not we've dominated the rivalry but you're gonna lose at some point or hey oregon's good or hey penn state's good it's tough to play at penn state i think you have to get into like multiple unreasonable losses where it feels like what you are as a program has changed and feeling like, man, Iowa kicked our butt today. And then, hey, also Maryland kicked our butt. And Indiana beat us. That's like six and six to me. Seven and five at the very least. I think a lot of the rest of it would be like, man, that was not what I thought was going to happen. But you know what? This program hasn't had a down year since 2004. He went undefeated in the regular season in year one. Um, I get it. I hope it doesn't happen again, but to, to, to be the idea of like fall out of favor, have serious pause off one year for a guy who went undefeated in the regular season in year one, I really do not think most fans would be there at nine and three. So I'm, I'm very I guess, intrigued. I guess we get into a semantic argument, I guess, about what fall out of favor means. I guess I just, I'm, I'm looking at it through the lens of not just nine and three in any season, nine and three in this coming season mm-hmm. with the expectations of this coming season. And the, as while, while he did go undefeated in the regular season last year, the kind of lingering what if of last season too. Because then at that point, what, what has he accomplished as a head coach? If he wow. loses three games in the regular season next year. I, and then on top of, again, I'm not saying this is, you're asking for the way I think people will look at it. You have that no, question. I, I'm you, telling you, you are wrong. I'm okay. telling you, you guys are talking about this like crazy people. And if I'm wrong, I want to hear it. Please let us know on this. I, I just think, like you just said, if they go nine and three and then you look back at last year, then you think, well, what has he done as a head coach? That, man, that is a high bar. But don't you think that the, the – when you look back on 2019, isn't the baseline of that team going undefeated in regular season? Like uh, what? He, what? Who he's are a they first really... year head coach with a quarterback that showed up in January. I thought they were going to go nine and three last year. They were the best team in the regular season for a chunk of the regular season. That was a great first year for a head coach taking over for Urban Meyer. 
You think that like I mean it's No, stunk. I think it was a good season. I think it was a good season too, Doug. I'm not saying again, you're asking me to to you, the question was based to put us in the minds of other people, and that's what I was trying to do there. So maybe I'm just maybe I see too much of the the more the more vocal um, dissatisfied portion of fan bases than than the average person does. I don't know, but like but we all I, see that portion, but you can't. I mean, that's the portion that we see, because like, that's it's the it's the thing in everything. People who complain are the ones who reach out, but but I, I would be I, I just. That's an unreasonable. If that is, I mean, if you guys are right, and when we hear from our tech subscribers, 614-350-3315, if people are saying, I completely agree with Nathan and Steven, Doug, you have a total misread on this. I, I, I'll come back on this podcast and admit that for sure. I just think that is a very high bar. And again, fall out of favor is different than be disappointed with a season. You know, we talked about at the beginning. We, we found parameters it's the idea of have some pause about is this the guy? So that that I think when you start questioning whether someone is capable of doing the job or not, that's different than being like, well, that stunk. And so I, I'm just very surprised that it only took you guys three losses to think that's where fans would get. Now, do you, is part of your thinking on that because Ohio State is so good? Like, and this is not a knock on fans, but like fans are spoiled. They've been yes. so good, it would only take three losses. Yes. They, to some, you said earlier, they haven't had a down year in over a decade. They're not used to nine and three. They're not used to that. Part and of so your, their reaction, they haven't had a down year since 2004. So they're oh, my God, what is happening here? And maybe this coach shouldn't be the coach. Yeah. Okay. All right. And I, I also think that I also think that going nine and three in twenty twenty one as we look ahead to with a either redshirt freshman or true freshman starter quarterback with a whole new linebacking group with who knows, you know, no Sean Wade in that secondary and who knows if these corners are good. Like that to me starts to be a year where you'd have the more plausible dip and it would be more acceptable than what you have on roster talent for twenty twenty. I think the expectations are higher and if, if there's a level that the 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 the, the floor is higher of the expectations for 2020. Okay. They lost Chase Young and Jeff Okuda, Malik Harrison, Davon Hamilton, and their second best player on their defense after Sean Wade is who? No easy answer, right? No obvious answer who the no. second best player on the defense is. So well, probably I'm just, Browning, maybe. Who's playing a new position and so far yeah. has been like an average player and is a senior who came in as a five-star and hasn't popped yet. I mean, I, 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 I want to hear it. God, I really want to hear it. And, and I'm going to be gone next week. So we're going to have to delay it. I want, please bring it on the text because I want to have, I want to have this discussion because it's, I like, this is the great thing about like the text subscription is we're talking about what we think fans think, right? So now the fans have to tell us what they actually think and we'll get a vibe from them on where things stand on this. I think this, I think this is a fascinating discussion topic because when it's about a program like Ohio State, the, the standard that fans expect and how they would react to disappointment and how they think about their program and the people in the program, I think is fascinating, right? I mean, that's such an important yeah. part of all of this. I, I'm fascinated by how people actually think. And I, I didn't we already do the podcast of is this is 2020 national championship or bust for Ohio State? And I thought the consensus among was the yes. fan base was yes, or at least the texters that were responding to us. 
Um, but, but, so to, to go from national championship or bust, and the answer is yes, to, to, to three regular three season losses? We're okay with that. Yeah, yeah, you don't no, that's not what we're saying. Are we okay with it? We're saying, do you think the guy might should be – maybe should you, think, you should think about firing him soon. That's what you guys are saying. That's what pause means. That's what fall out of favor means. Yeah, I, that means I don't, I don't trust this guy anymore. That's the parameters we put up at the start. I don't think that was exactly how those – I specifically asked the question of what, what you meant by that. Mean? You didn't what say that. What does pause mean? What does pause mean? I think it makes you wonder. It's, it's, just, are we sure if, about this guy? Not necessarily should we fire him. Are, we, are sure we sure what? Are we sure what? Are we sure we made the right decision? Eh. And whether he should be the coach or not. Are we sure whether he should be the coach or not? That's what pause means. I think it means that you, this guy has put himself in a position where he has a lot to prove in the year ahead. All right, we will be back. We're going to talk about Bama or Clemson. Who do you guys think is the tougher challenger in this 2020 season? Please send us your thoughts on what we just talked about. Be a tech subscriber. If you've never subscribed, subscribe now and let us know what you think. 14-day free trial, $3.99 a month, 614-350-3315. We'll be right back on Buckeye Talk. All right, back on Buckeye Talk. We talked about this on the previous podcast. Who is the the tougher hurdle for Ohio State in 2020, Clemson or Alabama? Clemson with Trevor Lawrence, Alabama coming off the first season where it didn't make the playoff. I tallied votes from tech subscribers on who was the tougher challenger. And we didn't get as many responses on this as we do get on some tech subscriber things. I'll tell you that we got 79 votes. What do you think the breakdown was of the voting? Clemson is tougher or Alabama is tougher? Steven, you guess first. 79 votes. How many did Bama get? How many did Clemson get? I would say because of how things have gone, Clemson got 40. You said 79, right? Yes. I would say Clemson got 45, and this is why I'm, I'm not good at math. All right. Uh, Over 79 minus – 30, 45, 30. 34. Yeah, thank you. I'm not good at math. 45. Stephen says 45, <laughs> 34. Yeah. Um, Nathan, would, what's your guess? U.S. history. Um, I would say uh, 48, 31 Clemson. Oh, that's good. It was 49, 30. Ooh. Two good guesses. 49, 30 Clemson versus Bama. Um, so there is some sentiment that Bama could be Kind of tough. Let's start with the answers about why Clemson. And most of the answers for Clemson center around two things that we talk about on here a lot. One is that the ACC stinks. And, like, Clemson's practically guaranteed a playoff spot. And Bama just has a tougher road. They're not as guaranteed a spot because somebody in the SEC might jump up and get them. And the other is Trevor Lawrence. From the 614, Clemson primarily because Ohio State hasn't ever beaten them and they lost to them in the playoffs. You may say, what's that got to do with this? I think we have to consider there is some, quote, getting over the hump with Clemson. That's not to say Alabama couldn't beat Ohio State. Clemson is the biggest threat as long as they are where they are, and Ohio State hasn't beaten them. We know the Clemson history. Going back to the Gator Bowl with Woody, Taj Boyd in 2013 with Braxton, the 2016 shutout 31 nothing, and last year, Stephen, do you believe in any get-over-the-humpness? I think that's a thing in, in sports. Yeah, it's until you've beaten a team, you can't – I think that's like – yeah, I, I think it's a thing in sports that there's something about finally getting over that you know, proverbial hump and beating a team that 
kind of wipe that you know monkey off of your back. Yeah, I think that's a thing in Florida. Do you think that would happen, Nathan, that if Ohio State plays Clemson, the next time they play them, that that will have some lingering impact on the matchup? I think it absolutely does if it's in 2020. Um, and it, it has, I, it probably lingers a little bit if it's even two or three years down the line, even though in college sports, these rosters change over so much that, and even sometimes the coaches change over so much that the, it, it, I don't see the same connection that you do maybe in a pro sports situation where somebody's got to beat the, the team that's been at the top of the division or whatever. Um, but I think especially if it happens again this year, so it's like, you know, third time in, in what, four years that they're playing in the in the playoff and, and Clemson's won the previous two and Clemson was a roadblock to what was supposed to be a really special season last year for Ohio State I think absolutely that that plays a role I think it wouldn't now I'm just going to disagree with everything you guys say but I actually disagree on this because I think I actually think Ohio State last year proved to itself that they're as good as Clemson so like they didn't beat them but they all feel like everybody in that you know the Ohio State program feels like they should have beaten Clemson the talent was equal you play that game 10 times, Ohio State probably wins six or seven. Um, so I don't know that, like, I think maybe it – and I don't know that it did linger because it's all different guys. I think it's stuff. It's harder for stuff to linger in college football because the roster's constantly right. turning over. Nobody on the 2019 team wasn't around, really, or was an important player in 2016. Um, but maybe that would have lingered more because it was like Ohio State didn't even belong on the same field as Clemson in 2016. In 2019, they went toe-to-toe and were the better team for – 55 minutes so so i don't know that i don't know that i'm not so sure it wouldn't be almost like an edge for ohio state of like we're we thought we were better than you and we lost now we have that chip of like we're gonna take you down um from the 602 i think bama is always going to be bama until saban retires that said their best days are behind them clemson will be our nemesis until we beat them on the field they also have a much easier path to the playoff than bama from the 602 that's another thing that crept into some of this discussion Nathan, the idea that Bama's best days are behind them, does that make sense to you? Do you agree? No. I think that's a ludicrous statement. Yeah, yeah, that's a bit much. You have to put things in context of how last season ended for them with the amount of injuries they had. They're not going anywhere. That's, I mean, a that's, just, that's just asking for Alabama to go yeah. undefeated and just run this whole it, thing. It is. That's a, yeah. Dangerous. I think it's a dangerous mindset. Like, I'll just yeah. – like, like, I would really advise Ohio State, Ohio State fans not to think that way. Yeah. <laughs> Nick Saban is still coaching over there. so <laughs> Please don't let Nick Saban know that somebody texted that to us or he will hang it on a Tuscaloosa bulletin board for the next six months. Um, yeah, I, and I disagree with that just like factually with what they're doing. We're going to get into more Bama stuff. Our friend Colin, who always has good stuff, it's Clemson, then Bama. Bama is still a monster that people are somehow sleeping on. Don't get me wrong. So good point there. But Clemson was doing what they've been doing with recruiting classes just on the edge of the top 10, and now they brought their recruiting into the top five. They also have Travis Etienne and Trevor Lawrence, and Trevor Lawrence back. Clemson is the bigger threat. Um, and he also mentions Ohio State hasn't beaten them. From the 440, I'm 95% sure this is recency bias, but Clemson. The part of that is I am certain they will make the playoff coming from a weak conference. Bama has to fight with Georgia and others. Also, Clemson's quarterback is scarier than Alabama's defense. From the 309, still think it's Clemson. Alabama recruiting has been good, but not as elite as top-end Bama. And Bama recently has begun to lean more on offense. They are tough, but Clemson still has that elite quarterback and the talent to challenge Ohio State. Now, from the 513, I think you've talked about 100 times that it's all about quarterback play at this level. So which quarterback would you take? 
Mac Jones in Alabama or Clemson and Trevor Lawrence? I'll take Trevor Lawrence. If the FCC West is indeed the best conference in football, the likelihood of any particular team taking advantage of a first-year QB is higher than the heart garbage that is the ACC, meaning that the SEC might jump up while Mac Jones is kind of getting his feet under him. Steven, is it that simple? Like, is that – if people are saying – the answer is Trevor Lawrence. It's Trevor Lawrence is Trevor Lawrence. As much as we have talked about that you have to have an elite quarterback, is that make, does that make Clemson the right answer? Yeah, it, it is that simple. You know, Trevor Lawrence is the, arguably the best quarterback in college football, and to the point that we keep talking about, a quarterback changes everything for your program. Yeah, it, it, it is that. You can add context to it, but it's that simple. They have the guy who might be the number one pick in the NFL job playing quarterback. From the 206, I still think it's Clemson with as bad as the ACC is. Clemson is for sure going to the playoffs. Since the SEC has much more of a gauntlet, there's a chance Alabama doesn't make it. Also, Clemson has the QB. And the, based on the past few years, it's all about the QB in college football. That's John in the 206. Last one on Clemson from the 773. Clemson, it's all about your quarterback in the playoff era. Bama has a really good one and therefore is the threat. Nathan, how much stock do we put in the fact that just Alabama has a tougher road so why worry about Alabama the most when you don't even know if they're going to be there? They weren't there last year. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that that's that's fair, I suppose. If you're talking about just as far as which which one do you fear more for 2020, that could definitely be a factor because I think, as we've talked about many times, Clemson obviously has the easier road. Although I, I guess I will also say Alabama can afford one stumble more than Clemson can afford one stumble. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's true. There's like multiple paths for Alabama where Clemson has less room for error. I want to get to the Alabama side, and this I think is the most – is one of the more interesting things about it. And it's a continuation of the one I just read from Charlie in the 773 on the Bama point. He thinks it's Clemson unless Bryce Young is the Alabama starter at quarterback. What if Bryce Young, who is the number one quarterback recruit in the class of 2020 from California, C.J. Stroud was three, D.J. Ugalele to Clemson was two, Bryce Young is number one. What if Mac Jones is Kelly Bryant and Bryce Young is Trevor Lawrence, and now you are adding the new Trevor Lawrence to a stacked Alabama defense? Would that change your mind on anything? Because – I don't know anything about this, but on the surface, it doesn't seem impossible to me that Bryce Young is Trevor Lawrence. Steven, what do you think of that? I am not ever, again, going to argue against a five-star true freshman coming in and winning a job <laughs> for a team who might want to call it a national championship or at least get to a national championship game. I just wrote a story about Kyle McCord possibly being able to do the same thing for Ohio State in 2021 if he beats out C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller. We've seen Jake Fromm do it as a true freshman, get the national championship game. We saw, obviously, Trevor Lawrence do it, and Tua came in in the second half and did it his true freshman year. I am not – if you're a five-star quarterback who is getting recruited to play for one of the top three programs in the country, meaning Clemson, Alabama, or Ohio State, and it seems like there might be an opening window for you to be a starting quarterback because it's going to be a battle, I am not ruling out that you're, you can win that job. Now, this is a little bit disingenuous because we're on this podcast, we've talked about will C.J. Stroud be ready as a, in year two at Ohio State. Mm -hmm. Nobody's thinking about C.J. Stroud playing in 2020. We're questioning if Ohio State might have a step back year in 2021 
because C.J. Stroud, who's the third best quarterback in the class, will he be ready in year two? Now we're talking about should Alabama be the biggest threat to Ohio State because their true freshman quarterback in 2020 might do it. Nathan, is Trevor Lawrence like a unicorn? That it's, it's stupid to try to compare anybody else to Trevor Lawrence, or do you buy it to some degree? Well, I don't know. So that necessarily think it's just Trevor Lawrence. So like as Stephen points out, like there's been other examples, guys. It's kind of been a run of it, right? Recently, of true freshmen who can get to a national championship game. So um, I, I think it's 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 a combination of that. Like, that guy's got to be special, but he's also got to be walking into a pretty special situation. There's got to be uh, just a, a kind of a, a, a tower of talent that he gets to stand on top of. From the 614, we're now doing the people who picked Bama. Bama for sure. The NFL mock draft has six players projected in the first round from Bama. Um, now for the first time they can come into a season as an expected underdog. They had so many injuries last year. They will be back. Uh, and now this person is already theorizing that they want Clemson and Bama to be the two and the three and have to play each other in the semis while Ohio state get Oklahoma or Texas in the Rose bowl from the six, one, four, Nathan, do you think, I mean, you know, what do we know it's now, but again, I'm pinning people down on hypothetical situations five months from now. Last year there were, there was clearly a top three, and then LSU got the easier road by being the one seed. Do you think it's possible that that's going to play out this year as well and that there's going to be a huge battle to be that one seed to avoid having to play one of the other top teams in the semi and that it's going to be Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson fighting for that? It's certainly plausible. Um, I, I, I don't know who that fourth team is right now, but I guess I don't discount – that it could emerge from somewhere just the same way LSU did last year. I know LSU kind of took Alabama's place, but if there could be a team, and I don't know if it's Texas, I don't know if it's Florida, but there's certainly enough teams out there right now that seem like they have the um, foundation for a pretty high floor, and then the ceiling could also be attainable to jump up into this and, and, and have that kind of a special season, not, not, not statistically special like LSU did, but that kind of season where now they are in a, a championship contention. Like midway through the season, we look around and we're like, oh, wait a second, why weren't we talking about that team all along? I don't know that there are teams – I don't know that there's a Big 12 team or a Pac-12 team that would rise to that level because I think the thing that a lot of people overlooked, and maybe it was just people in Ohio like me who don't follow national college football – there was a real depth of talent at LSU, and the NFL draft proved that. On both sides of the ball, they had dudes. They had dudes at receiver, as we covered on the Wednesday podcast. They had a really exp- veteran offensive line that wasn't great, but it was solid and veteran. They had a first-round pick at running back. They had a dude at tight end. They had multiple first-rounders on defense. And then they dropped Joe Burrow on top of that. I don't know that Texas or Oklahoma or Washington or USC or Oregon is at that level. Maybe George is. Maybe you yeah. drop Jamie Newman into this, and all of a sudden, George is like, yo, hey. And now we're talking about two SEC teams, and you can't even tell whether Alabama or Georgia is better. And that's your four. I think that's possible. I also think it certainly is possible that it plays out the exact same way and that there's a d- significant drop-off to that fourth team, and there will be a fight for that. From the 6-1-4, on that point, my hope is Bama and Clemson are the 2-3, and we get the cakewalk that LSU got last year. I'd love to play Wisconsin again. Shout out to the ESPN ratings that we talked about a couple podcasts ago. Clemson is probably the better team, but I want no part of ticked off Alabama and Saban. Um, I would say Alabama for sure from the 5-1-3. We proved last year that minus a few faults in the red zone and a wrong route that we can play with and beat Clemson. Alabama ticked off and ready to return to their previous glory would be a much more formidable opponent. 
from the 614. I think Clemson is a bigger threat, but people are sleeping on Alabama too much. Alabama gave LSU a game last year with a hobbled Tua. They probably win that game with a healthy Tua. I don't think Mac Jones is Tua, but Alabama will return to the playoffs this year and is a threat. 704, slight edge to Bama because they're bringing back a lot of guys on both sides, like Devonta Smith, Najee Harris, and Dylan Moses, and Mac Jones is solid. Um, but I think eventually Saban will go with true freshman Bryce Young to take Alabama's offense to a new level. I still think that's hanging out there. And I think there's like a motivational thing. you got a bunch of veteran defenders, and if you inject like a gunslinger true freshman who, who proved that he deserved the job, that can really be – a team can really rally around that. And I could see a bunch of ticked-off defensive guys being like, yo, this Bryce Young guy is for real, and that like giving a, a turbo boost to Alabama. From the 614 – um, all the previews are going to be on Fields and Trevor, their high school story, their college story. Nick will use it to fan the flames. Bama has my attention for sure. That's from Greg C74. From the 740, I agree somewhat about Bama, but I also think the coaching turnover is catching up with them. It's definitely affecting their recruiting. I know they'll have a top five class, but they aren't in on a ton of elite recruits like they usually are. From the 513 Bama, I've been saying it to my friends and family all year. They're going to be old Bama from 10 to 14 and really rely on the run game and playmakers. QB no longer the best player might be the best thing for them. Like the A.J. McCarron days, right? You hand the ball off. Alabama won a na- lot of national titles without their quarterback being an NFL starter kind of quarterback. From the 502, Bama for a couple reasons. The motivation you mentioned, but more important than that is the hiring of David Ballou and Matt Reed of their performance staff. I don't even know who they are. I hope those aren't fake people that this guy made up. This guy says, I'm in the strength and conditioning community, and without getting too into the weeds, the previous strength coach was a dope. So I know people made a big deal when that guy left because he left for a coaching position at Georgia. So, you know, nice little wrinkle there that maybe they actually improved his strength and conditioning. Last one from the 937, I think Bama is the bigger challenge, but I still believe the Buckeyes beat either team. Um, the last point is this from the 210, confident Ohio State fan. Neither is a threat. We run through Bama in the semifinals and Clemson in the national championship. Go Bucks. How much do you think I'm, I'm hanging? I would say Bama. Like I've talked myself into Bama on this, and it's mostly about motivation. Steven, you always, I think, are curious about this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. What matters in sports? How much is angry Bama a thing in your mind? It's a thing because it's. Nick Saban and angry Bama mate. I don't think everybody, every team in college sport and college football can do the angry Bama thing. Just like, just like every team in college sports can constantly view itself as an underdog the way Davos Sweeney does with Clemson. I think it, Bama's niche is this angry thing already. And I don't want to say fuel to the fire because I think that can be blown out of proportion. But if there's any team who is best equipped to take on the whole angry us against the world. This is our comeback season because of what everything out of all the things that went wrong last season, it's probably Alabama. Nathan, how much do you buy that? I suppose I buy it. I don't know if, I don't know if I buy angry. I, I think I buy just sort of challenged Alabama the same way Ohio state's going to be challenged, right? I mean, they had, they, they had an opportunity last year. Um, they lost a tough game against a really good team, but didn't get as far as they wanted to go. I think that that carries over a little bit. I think Alabama – now, it, it is different for Alabama because they were seen as falling out of the tier that they were in. They were seen as dropping back below 
this kind of um, the anointed place that they were in. So there may be, I guess, ang- maybe angry is the right word. I don't know, but I definitely a motivated Alabama team to kind of come back and, and restore some pride and kind of re- regain their, what they feel is their rightful place. And like the, the thing is like, they're all, they all get to be kind of angry, right? Because like right. none of them um, for the first time in the college football playoff era, the defending national champion is someone other than Alabama, Clemson, or Ohio State. So mm-hmm. this is the first time in the playoff era that they all get to be mad. Last time we had a, a champ outside that group was Florida State in 2013. So Alabama didn't make it. We're talking about why they might be mad. Ohio State thought they were the better team against Clemson and didn't win. We know Ohio State's going to be mad. And then Clemson, you know, I don't know that they're mad that they lost to LSU, but listen, they felt disrespected all year. And they have Trevor Lawrence, who's been this, you know, won it as a true freshman, didn't win it as a sophomore. They can make up a reason to be mad. So I do think as much as, you know, maybe all three of them in their own way can feel as challenged. Because it's not like Ohio State's fat and happy. I mean, Ohio State's as ticked off as anybody. But I do think we've never quite seen Saban like this in this era. And so I still would say Bama. My vote is Bama. Steven, in the end, your vote is Clemson. Yeah. And Nathan, what's your vote? For 2020 or for? For 2020. For 2020. It's Clemson. Clemson. Okay. All right. Big, big 10 and Michigan emphasis on the Friday pod. We appreciate you guys listening. Make sure you subscribe to the text 614-350-3315. Read cleveland.com slash OSU. Drop a review at Apple Podcasts. Hope you enjoyed that one. For Nathan and Steven, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk. 